This is the West Virginia Soccer Association Beyond the Pitch podcast on the WVSA Digital Network. From the Sport Pens International Studios in Charleston, West Virginia, here's your host, Marcus Cole. Welcome to the podcast. We have another great show for you. However, before we welcome our guest, I want to remind you to like, subscribe, and share our program. This helps us get the word out to others and let them know that we're providing valuable information designed for soccer players, coaches, referees, and parents right here on the WVSA Digital Network. And she's been on the show a number of times, and we're excited to have her back. Dr. Ashley Coker-Cranny, psychotherapist from Whole Brain Solutions in Morgantown, West Virginia. Doctor, welcome back to the show. I'm happy to be back. Thanks for having me. Now, in today's show, we're going to be talking about communication, uh, more specifically communication for our youth soccer coaches, and maybe even more specifically on top of that, uh, our coaches that are brand new. Maybe they started this past fall with a team, or maybe they're starting up this spring with a team of young kids and going to help those coaches uh, uh, communicate better with their players. So, Doctor, why don't we go ahead um, and start off with this. I don't think a lot of people understand why communication is just so important, especially nowadays. Um, can you give us just a quick background from a psychological standpoint? Sure, yeah. I mean, I don't think that there's any way to, to go into every benefit that there is of communication. Um, I'm glad that we're talking about it because communication is one of those things that I think sometimes we take for granted. We're so busy doing it every day that we don't realize why it matters. If you look at it from a psychological standpoint, I could list off hundreds of reasons why it's important. I will boil down to kind of the top three, and I'll tell you why these three in particular are so important. The first is that good communication facilitates solid relationships. And as social beings, we depend on relationships and connections to live really good, fulfilling lives. And that includes our athletic performance. When we have good relationships, because our coaches take the time to talk to us and explain why we're doing certain drills or why we aren't getting the playing time that we want or, um, you know, whatever it is that they're kind of explaining to us, it allows us to build trust and respect. Those are not things that come naturally. We really need kind of an avenue to make that happen. Um, In being able to build trust with your coach, you know, for some kids, that might be the only adult in their life that they really can trust um, in a big way. So from a psychological standpoint, that has far-reaching effect on how they form relationships with peers, with teachers. Um, it, has, it has consequences for their academic success, for their future job outlooks. I mean, it really is just such a potentially critical um, kind of factor to think about. Um, and then there's also the, the fact that when we have good, strong relationships um, with adults that we care about, it also really helps us to build our self-esteem and our motivation, which are the other two that I think are really important to talk about. In building athletes' self-esteem through communication, they tend to be a little bit more engaged and stay really involved, which lets them seek out a lot of really good growth-promoting kind of opportunities. They tend to have more, more stable self-concepts which allows them to have more adaptive identities so that they're able to be flexible as life changes and they need to kind of move and and shift and do the things that they need to do. Um, and also when we have higher self-esteem, we tend to see less delinquent or maladaptive behavior. So it really is 
a whole life um, kind of benefit just from having that good communication pattern with your coach. And then from a motivation standpoint, we tend to see better athletic um, excellence as well as academic excellence because athletes with the more stable um, relationships and, and self-esteem are more likely to seek out those kinds of opportunities that are going to push them and challenge them, um, and they've got that, that motivation to continue to pursue some kind of achievement. Um, and especially when they're faced with um, adversity, those athletes who, who built those strong relationships and have strong self-esteem that started with good communication tend to be more resilient. And so they're able to be more successful in all areas of their life. So really, I think sometimes we look at communication in the athletic realm and we say, oh, well, you're just asking me to, to explain why I'm running this drill or how to do it correctly. When the reality is it's so much bigger than that. And the implications for good communication are so much broader than just what it is that you're going to see on that field over the next season. That's going to be something that's going to last with, with this child for a lifetime. Now, say I'm a brand new soccer coach. I'm going to be starting out this spring with, say, six to ten year olds. It's the first time I've coached uh, in general. Um, can you give me now, based upon those three points that you just brought up, can you give some advice to these brand new soccer coaches on how to communicate with those players, those young players? Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the things that I think is so crucial is really keeping it simple. So I'll tell you that, that for my son's first football practice was last fall. He's six years old. I was so impressed with his coach because he, it was almost like an art with how simple he was able to make his feedback. In, in an entire practice that lasted for an hour, we walked away with five points. And they were little things like catch the ball with your eyes. So then in the car on the way home, I could quiz my son hey, what did you learn today? And then when he's practicing in the backyard with his dad, hey, what did coach tell you? And he could remember those things because developmentally, that really younger kind of youth age needs to keep it simple and it needs to be catchy and a phrase that both um, the child and their parents can kind of reinforce when they're not in front of coach. When you start throwing a whole lot of things um, at young kids who developmentally can't handle it, then they can't absorb what it is that you're saying. And so it's really not helpful feedback. Um, and I would say another thing that's really important is, is make sure as a coach that you're attending to the nonverbals. So when we communicate with anyone, about 38% of what it is that we get from that communication is from the actual verbal um, information that comes out of their mouth. The entire rest of what it is that we get from that communication comes from nonverbals, which we don't tend to pay attention to. But if I'm telling my seven-year-old that I'm not angry with them at the same time that I'm puffing up my chest and throwing my hands down and raising my voice, that child is not hearing that I'm not angry with them that they made a mistake. That child is hearing that they are the worst kid in the world and that I'm very scary and intimidating and they should be afraid of me. And so as that youth coach, if you can keep things very simple, if you can have um, a, a good attention to your own nonverbals as well as the child's, how are they responding? Um, if you're trying to give them feedback but they're getting really distractible, use that as information to help you. Maybe you're overloading them. Maybe you've gone, um, you know, you're just trying to give them feedback about something that they don't have the capacity to understand yet. Um, maybe they're distracted because there's other stuff going on in their life and they don't know how to ask for help. I mean, there's so many things that can be coming out of that that you as a, as a coach, if you can pay attention to those nonverbals, you can really deepen the communication and do a lot of good to use it effectively. 
Um, and then the last thing that I would say for those younger youth coaches is make sure you have reasonable expectations. Children are not miniature adults. They don't process information the same way that we do. They haven't had life experiences that we've had to, to understand sport in the way that we do. Um, we really have to be cognizant of understanding, you know, maybe they aren't getting along with their teammates, but it's because they haven't yet built that capacity to, um, to take somebody else's perspective and really understand it. Um, you know, maybe they seem like they're, they're um, overly energetic in practice and they're undisciplined and, and all of those kinds of things. But perhaps that's because they've been trying to sit in front of a computer and learn all day long, and that's just not developmentally appropriate for them. And they need good 10 minutes at the beginning of practice to just run and let that energy out. Um, if, if we can really make sure that we're having those reasonable expectations and that we're meeting them where they are and communicating them in the way that they can understand, not in the way that is most comfortable for us, then I think we can be much more effective coaches. Obviously we commute. Well, obviously we communicate differently with teenagers than we do with a six or 10 year old. What are some things coaches should keep in mind in maybe adapting their approach to these teenagers when they communicate? Yeah, so one of the first things that I tell coaches of adolescents is you have got to know your player. It it sounds like it sounds almost like throwaway advice, like, oh, of course I've got to know my player. But if you want to communicate effectively, you need to know what it is that your player can handle. Is your player the kind of player who, when they're under pressure, can only handle hearing one or two things from you at a time? Or do they need a long explanation for why it is that you got to the place that you're at in order to feel like, okay, I understand that, and now I can go follow through with it. Players have different preferences for the kind of feedback for, that they need, for the timing of when that feedback needs to come, um, for, for the tone that that feedback needs to come in. All of those things are going to have an effect on how it is that you need to deliver your communication to be most effective to them. Um, Knowing your player also means knowing what else is going on in their life, understanding the context of what it is that they're dealing with. It may not necessarily be that they're disrespecting you because they showed up to practice late, um, but dad lost his job in the pandemic, and they're just trying to do what it is that they can to help shuttle you know, siblings around or something like that. And, and having good, open communication um, and understanding that context, I think, allows you to, to be a more effective and communicative um, uh, coach, um, thinking just even about word choice. There are some athletes who get really triggered by specific words because they've had coaches in the past that have not been associated with good experiences for them. And so knowing, okay, well, I can't really say, um, I can't really say the word burnout because that triggers my athlete to, um, you know, start thinking back to two seasons ago when they felt really, really burned out because of all this stuff happening. You know, just, just knowing your, your athlete enough to know what kinds of words to use, when to use them, how to use them, um, what kinds of stances to take, when to talk to them, when not to talk to them, whether you should talk to them around others. You know, all of those things are stuff that, that you as a coach need to learn to be effective um, in communicating with your athletes um, and in facilitating two-way communication not just you talking to them, um, but also the other kind of critical part of that, which is listening. We don't listen enough to our athletes, that's and we need to do better. That's true. You know, yeah. I, I, ha I have this problem, 
And I know I'm not, I'm wired completely different than probably most everybody else in the world. Um, some have real difficulties dealing with difficult conversations with players. I don't. Um, I've never had that issue. I mean, even with my children talking about very sensitive subjects, I have no difficulty talking about that, bringing up those subjects. As uncomfortable as it may be, um, mm -hmm. I don't have, I'm just, like I said, I'm just not wired that way. Can you provide some advice for our coaches to, to have these difficult conversations with their players and making it effective? Yeah. Um, in the interest of not spending 30 minutes just on this topic, um, <laughs> a couple of things that I would say, really, as coaches, having difficult conversations is not about having a gotcha moment with your athlete. It's not about saying, oh, I caught you, and I know, and, you know, this thing is happening, and you're a terrible person, or, you know, any of the stuff that kind of comes up when we think about difficult conversations um, difficult conversations at their heart should really be about us seeking to understand and validate what it is that's happening. And one of the best ways that we can do that to kind of open up that conversation so that it doesn't have to be that really difficult gut-wrenching, I can't believe that I just had this conversation kind of moment, is we give our, our athletes the opportunity to kind of save face. So rather than going in and kind of... Um, assuming that we know exactly what's going on and and um, kind of putting our, our position out there first. To have a good, difficult conversation, go in with, with very objective kind of observations. So I've noticed lately that this happened. I've seen that. I'm, I'm wondering what it is that that's about. Give them the opportunity to respond to this objective piece of information and save a little bit of face themselves that kind of opens the door um, having a, a focus on I statements rather than you statements you're doing this you're doing that you're disrespectful or blah 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 is not helpful because it just puts your athlete on the defensive and then those difficult conversations get more difficult so being able to use I statements of you know here's what it is that I've seen and this is what it is that I've noticed and here's how this thing makes me feel and makes me wonder about you know, tell me where, where you're coming from. Um, really being curious and providing that opportunity, I think is really important. Um, so is being clear and direct and check for understanding. You know, if you've just rattled off, here are the three things that I've noticed recently and I'm really concerned about it. You know, what are you hearing from, from what it is that I'm telling you? How would you um, perceive this if you were me? You know, really kind of checking for that understanding to make sure that they're hearing what it is that you're saying. Um, you know, my dad was a Marine, and one of the things that he always said that he learned in the Marines was that you praise in public and you punish in private. So if you're going to have a difficult conversation, you don't need to do it in front of the entire team. Um, and that sounds like a no-brainer, except we all have known coaches or had coaches who have, have done that, usually unintentionally. They just got caught up in the emotion of the moment. Um, but, you know, we don't need to have those difficult conversations in front of an audience. Um, unless legally that's what's the appropriate kind of thing to do. Um, and then the last thing, and this is so simple, um, yet it gets really overlooked, is build the relationship first to make those conversations easier. I get the feeling that the reason why you don't have difficulty with, with those difficult conversations is because you built 
that relationship with your kids well ahead of time so that they didn't have to be those really difficult conversations. Um, you know, when I tell coaches, it's like putting money in the bank. The more you build your relationship with your athletes, the more you build that rapport, then the more money you have in the bank when you need to go make a really big withdrawal and have that really difficult conversation. Well, on my end, I want, I want them to be successful. I want them, I'm their biggest cheerleader. So I want them to be successful. So I, I guess maybe that's part of the reason why I don't have an issue with that is because I want them to succeed. So I think of the difficult conversations as opportunities, opportunities to help them, opportunities to improve um, a situation. Sure. Yeah, I think that makes perfect sense. And expressing that care is so important. Not not everybody knows how to do that naturally. So finding ways to build that relationship so that when you do express that support and, look, we're having this conversation because I care about you and I know that you can do better, you know, that's, that's something that you kind of got to build on the front end, the capacity to be able to do. Now, I know some coaches, uh, especially with them being new, are going to deal with some difficult parents. Um, can you give us just a couple of quick tips on having conversations with difficult parents? Yeah. Um, I, I would say before you even go into the conversation, remember to just honor their position. You know, parents, uh, parents are also looking out for the best for their kids. And most often when they're making mistakes, it's not because they mean to, it's because they don't know that they're making those mistakes. And so um, if you're, if you're having difficult conversations with parents or if you're having really good easy collegial conversations with parents either way you know honoring their position and and their role in your athlete's life um, I think is kind of a good place to sort of come from Um, because then what that allows you to do is in your communication with with parents then everything is a partnership everything is okay what is it that you're trying to reinforce at home how do I reinforce that on the field Um, here's what it is that I'm trying to do on the pitch. Here's how it is that you can kind of help me make that happen. When things become a partnership, it becomes so much easier. And the, the athlete is getting so many more contact points to what it is that they really need to be getting that they progress a whole lot faster. Um, and then the other thing with parents and and this too has become because they are spending so much time with, with, uh, their kids is make sure that you're listening for their subtext. They have a different context and understanding of their kid than you do. And, and that athlete may be two very different people in front of their parent versus in front of you. And so being able to listen to the parent as you're having whatever conversation you're having with them and kind of pull apart or tease apart um, some of the background things that maybe you didn't know before that might have actually been affecting your conversations with the athlete um, or your conversations with the parent um, that, that subtext or that context will kind of give you clues on how you can be more effective in the future. So allow yourself to read between the lines because it's important. Um, and then the other thing with parents, and, and this is very similar to what it is that I said, kind of about six to 10 year olds, keep it simple. You don't have to cover everything with, with a parent at once. Um, they get overwhelmed just as easily as kids do. And they're not accustomed to having the same level of contact with you and communicating with you that their kids are. And so if you kind of go in guns blazing, here are the 85 things that I want to make sure that I talk to you about because I finally have you in front of me, they're going to walk away remembering five of those things. So really um, kind of making sure that, that you're getting the most important pieces of information that you need to get when you're, when you're having those conversations with them and then 
you know, let the rest of it go. Maybe it belongs in a text or an email or something else, um, you know, but, but think about what it is that they can kind of handle in those moments when you do get that direct communication opportunity with them. One thing that I learned as a coach early on that helped me in dealing with parents is just somebody mentioned it to me and never thought of it before. And I think about it often is that, and I was the same way too, up to a point with my kids is that parents unfortunately believe that they, their children are a direct reflection of them in what yeah. they, in what they do, how they behave and that type of thing. And, and it's, yeah. it's, it's hard to let the parents know that, you know, you know, it's not that it's not the case, or at least in my opinion, it's not. Mm-hmm. No. And I think that that's such a good point. It's, it's, it's really funny how just as a society we've said, parents, you are solely responsible for everything that your kid does, which, I mean, makes a lot of sense in some ways, but also it does give us that false sense of, well, my kid's a direct reflection of me. So if they're messing up or if they aren't performing as well as they should or whatever it is, then that must mean that I'm doing something wrong, in which case when coach comes to talk to me about something that my kid is doing, then I'm automatically on the defense because my assumption is that they're really saying that I'm a bad parent because my kid isn't doing the way that I would like them to. I give parents in, you know, out in public, if their kid is throwing a major fit and having to pick up their Mm -hmm. child and take them out of the situation, I give them that sympathy look of like, you know, almost that head nod of like, yep, been there. Don't, don't worry. It'll get, it'll get better. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Um, what are some what are some mistakes that uh, coaches make when it comes to communicating that you've seen most often? Uh, you know, I've, I've, there are so many. Um, we talk too much and we listen too little. That's such a great point. We, uh, it is. I mean, it, we, we've all heard that saying. You know, you were given one mouth and two ears for a reason. Um, as coaches, I've never heard. I've never heard that under... before. That's great. <laughs> yeah, one mouth and two ears. Um, yeah, I mean, we, we cannot underestimate how important it is to listen. And again, part of it goes back to the relationships and the trust and the self-esteem and the motivation and everything else that I kind of talked about at the beginning. Um, but we have got to be more conscious about how much talking we do versus how much listening we do. And if you've got your athletes in front of you in a one-on-one situation and you walk away from that interaction thinking, I spoke more than 30% there, then you talk too much. You really have got to give your athletes the chance or your parents the chance um, to really um, be be more of a highlight in that communication um, kind of piece. Um, I think another thing, and I see this especially in younger coaches, is there's an over-reliance on expertise and not enough of a reliance on building relationships. And what I mean by that is it's almost like, oh, well, I'm the coach, and because I have this position and this title, then that means that I have this level of power, which should be demonstrated in this way. Um, And then they neglect things like getting to know their athletes, understanding what it is that their athletes can handle or what it is that would motivate them, um, building up that trust bank that they can make 
uh, withdrawals on later, um, all of those things end up getting pushed to the wayside because there's such an over-reliance on, well, you should do this because I said so, because of my level of expertise, because I played in college or semi-pro or when I was in high school and we won a state championship, whatever it is, um, expertise does not give you as much power as you think it does. Yes, it got you the job, but that's about it. Um, I think another mistake that I see that's kind of related to that is just timing. Um, you know, in, in in the heat of the moment when your goalkeeper has just missed a – they were totally out of position and just missed a huge opportunity for your team is not the time to berate them about this is why you have to come to practice and you actually have to work hard. And it sounds absurd, but the number of times that I have seen that um, is, is really sad because then you lose the point, you lose your credibility, you lose your trust in a relationship, you damage the, the athlete's self-esteem, and then you wonder why it is that there tends to be a rapid decline in athletic performance, they pull away from you, and now all of a sudden they're failing in school. Now, granted, it doesn't happen that, that quickly or that smoothly, but it does start with, with mistakes and timing. And so I think that that's really one of those mistakes that coaches could, could much more easily avoid. Um, and, and one of the pieces of advice I give to coaches about that is why do you need to give that piece of feedback in this moment right now? Is your athlete really going to benefit from it? And so you need to say it exactly right now. Or are you emotionally frustrated? And this is your way of getting rid of that frustration. And if you're engaging in that piece of communication at that time for yourself and not your athlete, then you don't need to engage. You're the adult. You deal with your own emotions. Come back and put your athlete first. Um, and, and, and that goes for kind of knowing your audience as well. You know, is this the kind of athlete who, who can take whatever kind of um, piece of, of feedback it is that you're giving them? And, and I don't know if you've noticed, but as we talk about communication, I never talk about constructive criticism or praise um, because for me, any communication is just feedback. Some of it feels better than others. Um, but as a coach, I think too often we get caught up in this, oh, well, you're my athlete, so I need to tell you um, exactly what it is that I see, and you need to take it well because it's just constructive criticism. Well, no, criticism is never really all that constructive. Now, feedback, that's a different story, and we can have a much different conversation in that sense. So, so knowing your, your audience um, is kind of important there. Another mistake that I see a lot is just unrealistic expectations. Again, athletes are not miniature adults. They're kids. Um, and oftentimes we expect them to be able to do things, think about things, respond to things in certain ways that from a psychological and cognitive development perspective, they are incapable of doing. It's not that they don't want to. It's that they don't have the structures and, and systems in place to be able to do that the way that you want them to. So really checking your, your expectations at the door is incredibly important. Um, and then I'd say the last major mistake that I can think of right now is ignoring nonverbals. Again, over 60% of all communication comes through your tone and your body language and the words that you choose and, and all of these things that are not what it is that's actually coming out of your mouth. Um, and so being inattentive to those nonverbals, both yours and your athletes, really is damaging to effective communication, which is then damaging to athletic performance and personal growth. 
So I don't know how many names I named that there, but those are some of the major mistakes that I really see um, from a communication standpoint with coaches. Yeah, those are some great points, especially the timing one. I like I like that one. Um, as yeah. we kind of as we kind of wrap things up here, Doctor, um, if you could just give one, and I know it's probably hard to just give one piece of advice to these brand new coaches this spring when it comes to communicating uh, with their team and with their players, or even maybe an established coach that's been around a few years, how to better communicate in 2021, what would that one piece of advice be? Oh, that's hard. Um, I think something that's really important is to use the snack method instead of the binge method. Um, when it comes to communication, communicate frequently, but communicate in small bites. Communicate um, in a way that says we're in this together. We're kind of snacking together. We're doing this together um, rather than, oh, I'm going to give you all of the information at once. It's going to be this big dump, and, and then I'm, you know, I'm not going to follow up. I'm not going to check for understanding. Um, I think that what using that snack method of, communicating frequently but in small bites really kind of does is it is it fosters that trust and respect and trust begets trust and respect gets begets respect so if you're looking to build these relationships with your athletes to have that effective communication then you need to be communicating with them frequently you need to be coming from a position of respect and modeling trust and and doing that um from from a high frequency standpoint, um, it's going to be so much more effective than just saying, "Oh well, you know, I talked to my athlete last month and we spoke for a half an hour. I don't understand why it is we aren't communicating effectively." Well, yeah, you just binged, but that was a month ago. They forgot that you cared. Um, so being able to kind of that that snack method allows you to really follow up frequently, check for understanding, uh, continue building the relationship, um, and reinforce whatever it is that you've been trying to communicate with them. Great point. Great, great point. Dr. Ashley Coker-Cranny, psychotherapist, Whole Brain Solutions, Morgantown, West Virginia. Doctor, thank you so much for coming on the show and talking to us again about uh, how to better communicate with our players this upcoming spring season. We appreciate it. My pleasure as always. And thank you for listening to the podcast. We really appreciate you tuning in. Remember to like, subscribe, and share our program here on the WVSA Digital Network. Thank you for listening to the West Virginia Soccer Association Beyond the Pitch podcast. You can catch a brand new episode every Thursday morning here on the WVSA Digital Network or find us on our social media platforms at WVSoccer. Copyright 2021. All rights reserved.